0: Just a moment. Just a moment. Welcome to the Future Law Podcast, exploring where the law has been.
1: Hey Siri, take yourself.
0: And where it's going.
2: Oh, good afternoon.
0: From the brilliant. My name is Sophia, and I am the latest and greatest robot. To the scary. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? And everything in between. Please welcome your very real and very human host, Lisa
1: Leong.
3: Welcome again to the Future Law Podcast, where we help you navigate through the noise. Joining me, Lisa Leong, is Dean Dan. Hey there, Lisa. Founding Dean of Swinburne Law School. And of course, the most interesting American to us... (laughs) Mike Madison from Pittsburgh Law School. What did you think of that label, by the way, Mike?
2: Uh, I love it. Let's go with it.
3: Okay, great. So we're looking at innovation on the cheap today, not innovation on the cheap and nasty as I like to call it, but just looking at how to make innovation cost effective and accessible to everyone. So we're going to give you some ideas on how to try and innovate with no budget or little budget. And I think as a sidebar to that, looking at how everyone can innovate. It's not just for people with innovation in the title. That's what I think anyway.
1: I think it's a great way of looking (laughs) at it, Lisa.
3: So, we're going to start off with a few case studies and the one that I wanted to bring in today was uh, what I call a radical partnering between a law firm and Telstra Legal, which started off in 2015.
1: For those listeners who don't know Telstra, if they're outside of Australia, big telecommunication company here.
3: Yeah, very large telecommunications company and the legal team had told us, you know, in the law firm that they'd had a history of trying to innovate, trying to change, but nothing ever changed. They were really good at talking. Um, One of them labelled themselves intellectual piranha. So (laughs) (laughs) the ideas would come out. They were really great ideas, but they'd just gobble them all up. Like intellectual piranha until there was nothing left. Oh, there you go. That was self-labelled. I didn't <laughs> that's a, call that's them that. That's
1: a kind of a weird label, but go on.
3: Okay. So there were two levels of not having budget here. There was um, so I was in the law firm and I had zero budget, and I also did not have innovation in my title at all. So I was kind of client-facing BD at the time, and for Telstra Legal they had zero budget as well. So they had no imprimatur to really spend any money on technology or otherwise. So I guess I wanted to raise the fact that um, this was done anyway, but the freedom that it gave us to go under the radar and to try things is what I wanted to discuss with you.
1: So what, so what did you do with them and how did you do it if you didn't have any money?
3: So... The first thing I did was, I guess, make sure that they were up for doing something together. So Telstra Legal had said that they did want a strategy of trying to get up the value curve. Mm -hmm. So they were asked to do more for less. And so together we realised that in order to do that, we had to get rid of some of that really high volume, low value work. So that was the problem. And I think identifying the client needs and the fact that they had a very specific problem to try and solve helped me get my law firm involved because they were a strategic client, right. but with no budget. So we did invest time and that was something that um, I think is the give and take we're trying to innovate is you do need to give something and that was time. So getting the radical partnering on something that we you know, wanted to work on together was kind of the key. Lisa, I just was
2: wondering about your own role. How did you come to see yourself as an agent in this process?
3: I was really interested in helping clients and I realised that um, clients wanted to do things in a different way and they called it innovation and I guess I didn't get perturbed that it had to be something so special that I, I had to spend a lot of money on it. I think that's what it was. It could have been just a different way of doing things which added value. So I think when I, when I understood that, I realised that we can all be agents of change and agents of innovation, but without having it in our title. So I sort of felt like it was accessible to everyone to have a go. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. the two. I mean, the two things that kind of strike me about that, the first is that people are really creative and so they want to be agents of change, right? Mm. So, so if they kind of grab that, that idea and say, well, you know, I, Everyone can be an agent of change. Then, then innovation is going to happen automatically. Whether it's in a law firm, whether it's in a, a law school, wherever it might be. Uh, the other thing is, I've seen this a little bit in this in the startup community. Um, the one thing that people don't really recognize ab- about innovation within that space is is how time is really the most important thing. We, we think it's about the money from venture capital, but it's really about committing time to, to making that thing work and having a sort of a small-scale project that you can then build on, but you sort of have to commit some time to it and you have to have a deliverable at the end of it.
3: And I wonder if um, money can sometimes be distracting in the sense that you have to write a business case in order to get the proof to spend the money sometimes, right? And in order to get a business case, you've got to be successfully proving something. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on you when actually what we did quickly was to get Telstra Legal to stop talking and to start doing and just try something. And so we actually involved the sprints and the ideas of prototyping. And because it was so, it was low cost, it was zero cost, it meant that we could do things, but just that we... Um, had time. We had to spend time on it.
2: The other contribution that time plays is sometimes if you take money out of the equation, you buy time. So you're not under the pressure of getting things done quickly. You don't have to turn it around and turn it into something productive right away. You can let things uh, sort of be nurtured and you can iterate and brainstorm and come back to them and let them sit for a while when in a money motivated, budgetarily defined environment, That might not be possible.
1: Did Telstra, in the end, kind of get rid of their high volume, uh, low value work? The sort of the question that you were trying to to answer in that process.
3: So after a year of doing multiple sprints, um, we identified forty thousand hours of unproductive work that was saved. So we specifically did a survey before and after to identify those savings to prove the fact. And actually, we did get some budget. To introduce um, automated non-disclosure agreement sort of production, right. but really basic, so it wasn't a lot. Um, but I think after proving that for a year, so yes, at some point, um, you know, money becomes involved, you know, sort of gets involved, I guess. Um, but just to sort of close the loop on the people involved as well, um, there was a democracy of ideas, which I absolutely loved, and in a place like Telstra, which has a history of hierarchy. Um, Sort of having an incubator where every voice was absolutely equal but different was uh, amazing to see. And some of the best ideas, of course, came from people who, you know, I think in the past might not have spoken up and they started to lead and it's been a really great experiment to run. So this idea of the incubator um, as a safe place under the radar with no money involved, so no risk really, um, just our time, uh, became a really good I think, experiment for me. And also, um, you know, the question now is how do we scale that? So that's what we're going to sort of work on this year.
1: That's, that's really cool. Picking up on that idea of the incubator, uh, Mike and I were in conversation uh, last week with uh, Gordon Smith, who was the dean at the J. Ruben Clark Law School at uh, Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and uh, he had some fascinating things to say about the future of legal education in the United States. We're gonna be doing uh, some shows around uh, legal education around the world, but uh, we asked him about this question about innovation on the cheap, and uh, this is what he had to say.
0: Yeah, I think most of the things we've done here are not uh, very resource intensive, but a lot of it has to do with just doing something differently. So for example, this semester, we introduced an incubator at the law school. And I think other law schools have incubators and I think we're the first one to do this, so I'm not touting it as some grand new to the world idea. But what we noticed is that as the more we've talked about innovation, change, entrepreneurial mindset, the more students feel like they've been given permission to think about creative solutions to uh, difficult problems. And as the students have come forward to talk to us about these, we've said, well, maybe we should give them an environment in which we can incubate these ideas. And so we recruited one of our law school alums is a professor in the business school at BYU. And he actually does a social ventures incubator in the business school. And he agreed to do that in the law school. So uh, we have, 10 or 11 students in the incubator this semester, and they're uh, working on all sorts of different projects. And he's sort of nurturing them through the process. He's partly helping them to just develop the ideas. He's making introductions to them, for them, to people who might be able to help and uh, helping them form teams that can help solve the problems that they really care about. So,
1: Legal education has the same sort of problem that uh, you see in in law firms and other parts of the legal profession. Uh, Hard to do legal innovation uh, hard to do legal innovation on the cheap, and so uh, Gordon was talking a little bit about the incubator model that he has, and that that actually seems like it's a really expensive model, but actually you can do it on the cheap because one of the things that we have in in law schools uh, is is student tuition. You know, like students are paying money, and we give them a credit for a class, and uh, if you can set up a class that that says, okay, you know, this is something which is of value to their education, then um, Effectively, it's it's kind of like it's free, right? You know, you don't have to find extra resources. You don't have to go outside. It's there, and and I know Mike's had some experience around around this as a as a law professor. Um, I'm going to ask him about that in a second, but but before he dives in. You know, as a dean, uh, you know, I kind of try to come up with creative ways of spending no money um, <laughs> or spending other people's money better, yeah. right, to to do that. You know, so our version of a, of the incubator model uh, is an accelerator that we're that we're doing with um, some some private law firms. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, and yeah. they're paying for it, and you know, we're we're actually going through that process. So with you're their-
3: creating real things. Absolutely. So yeah. the idea behind that's this.
1: Great. Is, is our students and, and some of our people work with uh, the pilot that we're doing at the moment is a law firm with um, Mills Oakley, um, who have been just absolutely fantastic. And and they're paying us money to, to take teams, uh, I think there are 15 teams who are going through this accelerator program that, that we run over the course of six months. And it gives our students all sorts of experience with them. It means the law firm is is doing innovation. They're, they're going from an idea to a product for each one of these teams. Not all of them will make it, but but, but still, um, it actually is costing us nothing, and and actually, it's you know it's pretty high level innovation, but it's on the cheap it's for brilliant. us. Brilliant.
2: Dan, is part of your model training the next generation of innovators as they come through the law program?
1: Well, one of the things that, that we've, we found really interesting is uh, if you, you we, we started off with our students in an elective class called Legal Tech and Innovation, which which I teach, and the innovation part is teaching them design thinking and teaching yeah. them how to do wireframing and, and do that stuff. It's not about programming necessarily, but then they can actually work with the the law firm to to do that sort of design thinking. And one of the really fascinating things is that even though I think that the students don't have necessarily really fantastic skills. You know, they're, they're, there's, a, there's a distribution. Some are great and some are not so great. <laughs> Even the ones who are not so great are learning uh, a skill set that lawyers don't have. And when they see the product that the students create, they're like, that's amazing. And of course, you know, they're getting jobs and, and opportunities out of it.
3: Oh, imagine that as a student, Mike, just getting, you know, first of all, exposure to a law firm and the problems that law firms want to solve, and then being able to also skill up at the same time. I mean, I would call it a radical partnering as well. You can use that label if you want. This is a
1: radical partnering. So we do innovation on the cheap. It's radical and it's democratised. It's got all the buzzwords, Lisa.
3: Any clients involved at the law firm? Absolutely. Right. Good.
1: It's it's empowering. Empowering. Empowering, radical, democratic innovation on the cheap. I think I'm going to trademark that particular (laughs) motto. So, So Mike, I know that you've also uh, done some experiments with innovation on the cheap in your school.
2: Yeah. So let me talk very briefly about something that's um, a little bit less concrete and it's still sort of in progress. I'm not a dean. I don't control a budget. I'm just a line law professor who sees problems out there that need solutions and students who need new skills. So uh, a number of years ago, uh, outside of my law career, I developed an expertise in leadership development. And it was really transformative to me in the worlds I was working on this. And I decided that that was a set of skills that I'd love to share with my students and teach uh, as part of legal education. Uh, the challenge was there's no existing model for that in law schools and uh, very uncertain as to exactly how you would do it, how you would decide whether it's effective, whether it would be acceptable to my faculty colleagues and my dean at the time. So I built a little pilot out of my own time on the (laughs) side. You just did it
3: anyway. I just did it anyway,
2: exactly. And
3: (laughs) ask forgiveness,
1: not permission.
2: Exactly. I, I recruited a batch of students for a pilot and it went really well and there was great feedback so i
3: was this outside hours and outside credits and all those sorts of good things n-
2: not even for credit this is entirely uh, basically borrowing time from my family oh, cool uh <laughs> and, and, and students borrowing time from their other studies uh mike I, I, I know your family
1: members and they were happy to give up that time <laughs>
2: Yeah, curiously, they encouraged me to go back and do it's, more of this. Um, it's really strange. So, uh, so the, the first pilot was uh, six or seven years ago at, at, at this point. Uh, and I've been doing this uh, on an annual basis uh, on a larger scale with uh, ever increasing numbers of students uh, and graduates. Uh, the feedback every single year is very, very positive, which is what keeps me going back. Uh, but here's what's interesting about it is my colleagues and my dean at the law school uh, have not really bit on on this. It, there's not really been a moment where it's had a, a you know, a, a way to get grounded in the formal program of the school. Two other things have happened. One is along the way, I wrote up the program that I was teaching and put that in an online essay uh, so that it would just get out into the world. This is my vision. And that ended up getting noticed uh, and it ended up getting published. And uh, it turns out I was tapping into an emerging movement in legal education to teach leadership skills. And so I'm now part of a larger cohort nationally. So innovation leads you in unexpected directions. Uh, (laughs) And so that's been a a lot of fun. You (laughs) find your peers, find your colleagues, and that can accelerate uh, in unexpected ways. The other thing is I've found other teachers on my university campus, not at my law school, but in other schools and departments who share this instinct that leadership education is important across the university, not just in law. So I'm now starting to collaborate with people in arts and sciences and other professional education about around what would a leadership development curriculum look like for the whole university. And we'll probably try to pilot something soon and, and see where that takes us.
1: You know, the, the funny thing about, about this, you know, each of these examples around innovation it's it's sometimes you're looking for the audience. It's not necessarily where you think it's going to be. You know, so you think, okay, my law school will pick this up, and they don't. And you go, oh wow, you know, this was a failed experiment. But then when you get the the story out a little bit wider, people go, oh, and that's great. And you find you find your people. I mean, I've got another case study, and it's it's this podcast. So so <laughs> like, no, really. I so when when we talked where about where
3: is the it, audience,
1: Dan? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're listening right now. Hello, Lisa. There are so many of them. Hello I, I, to you. Yeah, hello to you, my, our favourite listeners. So, um, so the thing about it was that that I could have gone through the regular university channels and and sought permission for this and and had it at something. You know, this is a, a production. and you of, told me of, you had. Of, <laughs> so, well, nervous. actually, hopefully, my 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 vice chancellor isn't listening. Anyway, so uh, definitely not. If you if you're listening, <laughs> I, I got all the permissions, uh, Linda. So so the the thing about it was that that uh, I just. I realized it was just going to take forever it just it just you know there was no way that i could kind of get it through have the enthusiasm for it and so found a kind of a way of, of getting around that and and now of course the university is like this is great you know we yeah. really like this <laughs> we've but been
3: all my life yeah but but they're
1: sort of like you know they're still sort of like well but you know it's not really quite on brand and maybe we need to worry about you know how you you know portray us and and i'm like oh, guys you know don't worry about it and just sort of i stonewall and and <laughs> eventually at some point i'll probably have to sometimes uh, you but, just have to try sometimes you yep. just have to try i think I think that's, I think that's the thing. Yeah. But, but then, you know, what
2: you encountered is pretty typical, right? Which is that people in the hierarchy, sometimes will push back sometimes because they worry that people who volunteer things will get out of alignment. Uh, yeah. They'll get off brand. They'll go off right. and do, do crazy things. So, so how have you thought about sort of keeping that alignment goal sort of, you know, in your field of vision?
1: <laughs> well, so, so actually I think it's a really interesting and really important point to do innovation. Sometimes you have to be out of alignment right like cuz if mm. if you're perfectly aligned you're just going to keep doing business as usual and and that's not what this is about so so doing innovation innovation on the cheap you have to be a little bit out of alignment. It's not really a big reach for this podcast to be aligned with what the law school is trying to do. You know, we're, we're supposed to be the law school of the future and, oh, look, the podcast is called the Future Law Podcast, right? So so it's not really that tricky. Um, it's just about... But rec- if
3: you waited for all the ticks, oh, you know, no, like, I mean, me. this is you the know, difference so and maybe sub- it's about the people who also choose to do innovation, whether it be innovation on the cheap or innovation with lots of investment, there's a certain type which is not the check-first type, to be yeah. honest, isn't and, it?
1: And uh, Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think that's true. They're more likely to kind of like dive in and try to do yeah. it and uh, those sort of people uh, who, who are not necessarily rule followers who kind of see themselves as rule breakers. But but to come back to the point that we started with around democratisation that everyone is, is is and can be a change agent – uh, this is not just for those people that, that just like colouring outside the lines, right? This this is for everyone who's confronted with a problem in their environment, legal education, law schools, law firms, uh, law departments, whatever it might be. Uh, everyone's got these sort of problems and everyone's mm. got the opportunity to to make a change. And the only question then is, well, how do you make some concrete steps to do it? So we've established that you can do it on the cheap. Uh, we've established that there's a little bit around time that's the sort of the, the starting point. But but if we're closing on our normal thing where we try to have some practical mm. takeaways. Yeah, I'm trying
3: to think of one. What's
1: the, what's the way of doing it? Mike, do you have any ideas about how you actually practically do innovation on the cheap in these environments? So
2: the the place I would always start is where do ideas come from? Not just where do you see problems that need to be addressed or need to be repaired, but where do you generate the ideas for, for what to pursue? Uh, and that's a time problem as well, right? So a lot of people would say, you know, I don't have the training, I don't have the background, I don't have the time in my day or in my life to focus on this additional thing. So so that's something that every individual person has to wrestle with. I find that this is where mixing it up with other people, face-to-face, your peers, your cohort, your colleagues. Dan, you and I have been friends for a long, long time, but in a, in a different environment entirely. Where conversations just sort of evolve to the point where we recognize similar temperaments and similar interests, and and here we are on a podcast. Here we are.
3: What what, what <laughs> uh, environment are we talking here? Is this a pub or? <laughs> it was there were
1: there were there were a few bars involved. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pittsburgh has got some okay. great bars, I got to tell you. I didn't you. know about this. <laughs> Something like that. So so I think <laughs> that
2: uh, I think you know to be in a position to be an innovator, uh, you need to be swimming in ideas. You need to be swimming in conversations and and open to ideas. Because that's where stuff will will pop into your head and light bulbs will go off as conversations emerge. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden something concrete pops in and off you go.
3: And the example of that is Mike going out to see other departments and you going out and seeing law firms and yeah. I just randomly speak to strangers on you, the street.
1: Actually, you do randomly speak to I strangers. Do. It's, it's, it's actually quite she's, – she's very friendly, listeners. So, so, the, um, so the thing that I'm taking away from this is um, it's about forming groups of people who, who are motivated to do this kind of thing, setting aside some time. To, to actually say, all right, I'm going to actually look to innovate uh, on a regular basis once a week, uh, twice a week, whatever it is. Uh, the third thing that I would add is that there are lots and lots of uh, fantastic resources out there that will teach you how to do uh, design thinking uh, do lean canvas if you're trying to create mm-hmm. a business model a new business you know if uh, there's lots of stuff around technology not about actually building it yourself but sort of like trying to actually go down that that route where you're you maybe outsourcing it or whatever it might be so the combination of of people time and and these resources i think anyone can do innovation
3: Beautiful. So that's innovation on the cheap for this week. Coming up in our next episodes, I think we're going to build on that and become practical with learning a bit more about design thinking. Great. Now, we have threatened to do this on previous episodes, I must say. We keep on saying (laughs) design thinking is coming up. Next. Apparently, it's coming up. Next
1: episode. It's always coming (laughs) up. It's
3: always coming up. up. (laughs) So coming up. Design thinking. Right. And creativity. <laughs> and creativity. Right. And we're going to um, get practical on how you help you know tap into the inner creativity that we know all lawyers have. Don't you think?
2: Well, <laughs> most lawyers. Oh, we're going <laughs> to train them to be creative. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and that's the Future Law Podcast. Um, you can subscribe on your favourite podcast provider or you can check out our website
1: at thefuturelawpodcast.com.
3: I knew it was catchy. I just couldn't remember
1: it. Easy to remember. (laughs) Even my parents can remember it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Future Law Podcast. For links
0: to the articles mentioned and to contact the hosts, visit futurelawpodcast.com.